Welcome to an Arkansas AgCast Deep Dive, where we take a closer look at news that impacts you. The Arkansas AgCast is brought to you by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Hey, welcome to the latest episode of the AgCast Deep Dive series. You know, we developed this series as a way to break away from the ag news headlines and take a closer look at a topic that matters to our members. As always, the show is brought to you by the Arkansas Farm Bureau. I'm the host of today's episode, Jason Brown, and I'm glad to welcome a reporter from Delta Farm Press and Arkansan and someone whose stories we've used on this show several times, Whitney Haywood. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here today. We're really excited to have you. You know, um, I remember seeing when you were, uh, when Delta Farm Press announced you were taking on this role mm-hmm. last year. Is that Sep- right? It was September of last year, 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So almost a year and a half now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pretty excited. I've done a lot of work with Delta Farm Press over the years and Ron, gosh, before he retired and, and just, you know, all kinds of work with them. And, uh, you know, we were excited to see in Arkansan, uh, covering Arkansas agriculture and beyond, I guess, but yeah, yeah, the whole Delta, but my focus is Arkansas, Yeah, you know, since that's where I'm based, but yeah, try to cover the whole Mid-South. Yeah. Well, we're grateful for it. Um, I'll tell you that. Well, let so let me see. Let me see here. Like we said, you're about a year and a half into your role there. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you do for the publication? Sure. I chase ag stories all over the Mid South. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anything from farm features, um, something innovative a farmer's doing on his operation, mm-hmm. you know, something we can report. Um, Updates from researchers, you know, updates from agencies, um, just following the latest headlines and really just looking at what our readers want to hear. Yeah. You know? And um, that's one of the questions I like to ask after I've interviewed somebody is, what do mm-hmm. you want to read about? Yeah. Because uh, that's that's the next story I'm chasing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I like this. So, I, you know, it's not often, you know, everybody, everybody who listens to the show knows that I work in the PR department. So I'm often the one calling you mm-hmm. saying, Hey, can you, are you interested in the story that we've got to tell? Right. But now I've kind of got you in the hot seat. So I'm going to take advantage uh, okay, for a minute. Um, so what do what do you, how do you find as some, and now the tables are kind of turned on me. So now that we do this show, I'm the one out sort of looking for news, me and uh, Mac, who's my co-host. How do you find your stories? Sometimes they're assigned. Okay. You know? So yeah. sometimes it's, I'm going to a crop meeting. I know what I'm going to cover. I know what specialist is going to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes listening to their talks and their presentations branches out into another story, maybe mm-hmm. a series. Um, a lot of times it's just talking. So yeah. I have, I have a, a great network of farmers in Arkansas I can talk to, specialists um, in industry and extension. Mm-hmm. And um, just asking them what's coming down the pike. You know, what, what's big happening? What, what are you interested in talking about or hearing about? Um, and a lot of times once you get them talking, you can get a story lead here and there. Yeah. Just a little tidbit. Yeah. And, um, so, yeah, that really it's just keeping your ears open. Yeah. And, and listening for what is coming out next, what's in the pipeline. Yeah, that's so. been an interesting journey for, for, for me personally. And, and I know Mac, too. So Mac's an economist. Like he, he, uh, he has not ever done anything like this before the show. And so we've kind of had to train ourselves on how to be journalists to an extent. And we sometimes we read stories or, or hear stories and we sort of 
uh, talk about that between the two of us and like, oh, would this be valuable? What part of this would be valuable? What could we add to this and things like that? And it's been an interesting journey for us. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, so, okay. All right. So that's good. You're listening to your, your, your subjects and your readers, uh, and sort of taking their guidance on a lot of this. And, yeah. And sidebar conversation gives you a lot of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, uh, you know, I should have probably said this before, but you know how we do things around here. The reason we wanted to bring you on today, uh-huh. because you do cover so much in the ag industry in Arkansas, and you're a real journalist, not like John and I. Uh, we want to bring you on to talk about the top ag stories that you've seen. Mm-hmm. And these aren't necessarily ranked in order or definitely not the only important stories that have come out of Arkansas this year, but just some things that stuck out in your mind. Um, but before we get there, uh, you know, I just wanted to kind of talk to you about your role in you know, in agriculture before you, to, you know, before you got on there at Delta Farm Press, kind of what, what, what were you doing? So this, um, shocks a lot of people when I say this, Yeah, but I did not go to school to be a journalist. Yeah. That uh, is no kinda... formal training in writing whatsoever. Oh, wow. In fact, when I interviewed for this job, I spoke uh-huh. with my now boss, Brad Hare, and uh-huh. He asked me, do you have any concerns about taking on this role? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I really haven't had any formal training in writing. Mm -hmm. And he said, can you spell glyphosate? And I said, (laughs) or he said, do you know what glyphosate is? Is what he asked me. Do you know what glyphosate is? And I said, oh, yes, sir, I I can. And I can spell it. Uh, Yeah. And so that was the big joke. Um, But it's it's knowing about agriculture. So I've been involved in agriculture a big portion of my life. Yeah. But before that, I was a teacher. I taught fourth and through eighth grade math Mm -hmm. and science. Um, I was a December 2006 grad from Mm A-State, walked right into a job in January, which is really unheard of in the world of education. So I taught four and a half years and then stayed home for eight to raise my daughters. Mm -hmm. And in that eight years, I didn't know if I wanted to go back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, When my youngest started kindergarten, I did a little substitute teaching. Yeah. And that confirmed. I needed to find something (laughs) different. You wanted to do something else. (laughs) So in the meantime, I found some part-time work with Bill Robertson when he was the extension agronomist Mm -hmm. with um, Cooperative Extension. Yeah. I learned so much about row crop production, cotton production specifically. Yeah, um, Soil health and all of the soil health and sustainability studies he had. And then from there, the door opened for me to take a full-time position as technical and social media writer for Ag and Natural Resources. Nice. So that's where the writing started. Mm-hmm. Um, a few classes in digital design, but still not journalism. And then yeah. this opened up with Delta Farm Press, and I was so passionate about agriculture with my work with Extension. Just yeah. fell in love with it. That's and, amazing. Um, I have hit the ground running and have been running since. Well, I can, I'll speak for this show when I say we're, we're glad you're in that position because uh, we, as I mentioned, we source a lot of uh, stories that you uh, publish, and it's it's helpful to have someone here in the state. We, we, we've talked about this on the show before, but you know, Democratic Gazette has got uh, an ag reporter in Christina LaRue. Um, uh, Talk Business and Politics has uh, uh, George Jared, who writes about ag a lot. But mm-hmm. not exclusively. Um, so we're kind of, you know, we don't have we don't have a lot of coverage there, especially to be the number one industry in the state. So we're yeah. glad to have and you. And there are so many great things to write about in Arkansas yeah. ag. I mean, it, we've 
we've got a lot of patent on our back to do. Yeah, so. exactly. Well, since you since you said that, I'll give you I'll give you props for the segue. Uh, we did bring you on to talk about uh, some of the top ag stories in the state this past year, um, and I, I will say now, you know that this show is a weekly news show, and we've covered a lot of news this year. I started to go back and count how many stories. Um, and I dozed off at my desk, so I, I scratched that idea. Uh, but I'll be curious to see how your list uh, stacks up about so, with some of the stories that we've reported this year. Okay. Um, so if, you, if you're ready, now, disclaimer, these are in no particular order. No particular order. They're, Actually, I'm kind of going with some of the most recent. Okay. And All right. a Let's couple of cool ones that stood out to me this year that I thought were pretty innovative that were worth Worth making a note of. Yeah. Sure. All right. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's dig into the first one. How about that? So, yeah, well, let's talk about um, harvest. You know, recently I wrote some recaps on the soybean and rice harvest here in mm-hmm. Arkansas. Um, great crops. Great soybean and rice crop this year. Uh, soybeans are looking to make a new state record for average. Um, we're looking at 53 bushels an acre this year. Yes. Um, also, rice, the rice crop is looking at coming in the second best Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Uh, just behind that of 2021, which mm-hmm. was almost 170 bushels an acre. Yeah. Uh, it was 169 and some change. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're looking at coming in behind that uh, this year with rice, quite possibly. You know, those numbers will, will come out officially in February. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, that's that's where we're standing and where we're projecting. Um, a lot of that had to do with, um, well, I say that we we kicked off with an amazing planting season this year. Right. And looking back, talking to both Jeremy Ross, um, our extension soybean agronomist, mm-hmm. and Jared Hardke, our extension Ross agronomist, they both went back to 2022 and that dry harvest we had, mm. and how much ground prep we got, you know, under done our belts before we before. went home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so that made a huge difference with our planting. Got a lot planted early. I believe in April, by the end of April, we had already 40% of our soybeans planted. Mm. So a lot of April beans. I heard Jeremy say at one point during a meeting this summer, more April beans in the state um, than we had ever had, which had my wheels turning because I know that when you go to those Arkansas Go for the Green or Grow for the Green challenge Mm -hmm. um, meetings, you know, at the end of the year where they announce the winners, a lot of your winners are planning, you know, April 8th, 10th. You know, yeah, so that's some good research there. Kind of curious to see what it was going to look like this yeah. year. Unfortunately, when I talked to Jeremy, mm-hmm. we had a cold snap at the end of April that really um, caused those April beans to struggle. Yeah. And so he said yeah. the, the full season beans showed out a little bit more this year, but still yet, you know, record yield. So the procrastinators maybe benefited a little bit this year. If you're a little slow getting them in, (laughs) maybe so. And then um, in talking about that recap, I visited with Brad Doyle for a little bit, Mm -hmm. and we know him around here. Oh yeah, he's he's, (laughs) (laughs) he he said that this year he remembered, or he irrigated more earlier than he ever remembered because of our dry our dry weather in June. June, yeah. Um. So, um. But really, with soybeans, they didn't have a lot of pest pressure. They didn't have a lot of disease pressure. Um, Harvest this year, again, was dry, rolled right into it. Everything was going just fine until that last 20% or so when they kind of bottlenecked with granaries being full from the great rice crop we had already brought in Mm -hmm. and then finding a place to put those soybeans. Yeah. Um, So different reasons for that, you know, river levels being lower, um, but... 
that cleared up. That didn't slow us down too much. Mm-hmm. And then same with rice. You know, we got an early start on planning with rice and in talking to Jared for that rice article. And actually, that's going to come out this Friday. It's oh, really? Hit the, the website this Friday. Tell mm-hmm. us where we can find it. It's on our Delta Farm Press. You can Google Delta Farm Press. It's mm-hmm. on our Farm Progress website. Okay. Um, on the Delta Farm Press page. And um, it's my visit with, with Jared about how rice panned out this year. Nice, yeah. So basically, we had a lot planted early. Mm-hmm. And um, like March, early April, that rice did great. Mm-hmm. Rice that was planted about mid-April, it hit a wet, rainy period, and it struggled. Ah. Then it dried up. Now the mm-hmm. ground's already ready because we did all that fall field work in mm-hmm. 22. So the planters rolled again, and that rice planted after that wet, rainy period did great. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, you know, this year we were projected 1.3 million acres and mm-hmm. with some upside. We really took the upside. We ended up at 1.4 million total rice acres and a lot of medium grain this year. I believe he told me 200,000 acres of medium grain planted mm-hmm. this year. So um, he said planting was going so fast. You know, usually you plant a crop and then there's a little overlap. You plant another crop. But everything was getting slammed in the grand, ground so fast this year yeah. that it was hard to keep up with the projected planting. And Interesting, yeah. Yeah. So um, as they rolled through the summer, they knew there was a lot of rice out there. Um, got to July and had another cold, rainy period. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good for irrigation efficiency because mm-hmm. we could shut some wells off. Yeah, yeah. But when it came to disease pressure, it wasn't so good with the timing. So mm-hmm. there was some sheath blots and farmers had to deal with. Okay. And then just before, well, I guess right as we rolled into harvest, you know, think of those guys in Mississippi County where they had that storm come through Labor Day weekend and, yep. and just totally blew that rice to the ground. Um, I believe a lot of people said it pancaked the rice. Um, so <laughs> fortunately, it was the best case of a worst case scenario. It was mm-hmm. an isolated storm. It wasn't a series of storms and they didn't have a ton of water they had to fight. Um and I talked to Ryan Sullivan about his experience with that. He was so super optimistic mm-hmm. that while it did slow him down, while they did lose some yield, you know, in the end, like I said, it was the, the best case of a worst case scenario. Um, and then another thing we can go back, though, go back to this year. Yeah. One, one problem that we had this year that we hadn't had before was the wind. Um, yeah, yeah. We had about six weeks of a north-northeast wind mm-hmm. that just didn't let up. Mm-hmm. And so that did cause some plant stress. It did cause some drift issues this year mm-hmm. that we had in the summer um, that we hadn't had in a while. So, um, And then when we got to harvest, the big, the big topic um, yeah. was that the grain yields were great, right? Right. But the milling quality. The milling. Yeah, that's that what I heard too. Was an issue. Yeah. And so I picked I picked some brains. Um, okay. So I talked to some rice tech guys. I talked to Garrison Hardke, mm-hmm. who happens to be Jared's brother. <laughs> I was a little concerned about writing an article featuring both of them at the same time. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't wanna, so, uh, but anyway, they um, they both shared their their thoughts on rice milling this year, and then also joining Garrison, which you know Garrison is the U.S. marketing director for Rice Tech. Mm-hmm. His colleague Jeff Mosley joined the conversation. Okay, and Jeff represents the. Um, mostly the southern region of the rice belt. He's a, he's a representative with Rice Tech. So yeah. they all kind of weighed in on why my rice milling was was lower quality this year. Yeah. Uh, one thing was high nighttime temperatures that we saw in the summer. 
we had, you know, a lot of extreme heat. And when those nighttime temps creep up above 75 degrees, they saw the rice milling issue coming. Mm. And Garrison, he said it was like a train wreck that they saw coming. Mm. They just didn't know how bad it was going to be. Yeah. And so then we get into fall, and this fall was dry, just like last year was dry. Yeah. Well, if you think back to 22, we we had great milling yields in a dry fall. Well, you'd think in 23 it'd be the same case, Mm -hmm. except we had more moisture in the air this year. Uh, And so the way that um, it's been explained to me is that when you have heavy dews and you have high humidity, those rice kernels are going to take in that moisture. Then as they dry out during the day, it's going to evaporate and it weakens the wall of that kernel. And so that impacted our milling quality as well. Hmm. So while it was a dry fall, the air moisture was a lot different this year. Yeah, throughout. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the good news, though, is that as... Some of the farmers are bringing in their winter deliveries that have been in on-farm storage. That rice is tempered. You know, its milling quality is going to be a little better. We'll see how it impacts our whole crop. Yeah. Um, And as more data comes in over the winter, we'll know a little bit more about what really caused the milling issue. The milling issue. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm sure they'll do some, have some research plots uh, to kind of take a look at that. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a, that's a good one. Uh, it was an interesting year. A couple of pop-up storms around uh, Monroe County, Woodruff Prairie along the way, too. Yeah. Um, I'd say in summer, if I tried to guess August or September, I'd probably get that wrong. But I, I remember, um, you know, you seeing damage on a neighbor but not you or vice versa. And, and so, anyhow. Um, all right, so... Harvest. I think that's that's a big one. That's up there. Pretty successful harvest overall. I think yeah, corn did pretty horse. well this year too. Yeah, and I, I need um, to get a good cotton update. That's it. there you go. Yeah. I have not heard I have not heard much about what we what we think there. Um so what about you you talked about listening to growers. Um is there a topic that seems to be uh, sort of top of mind as you go out and you attend these meetings, you're looking for these stories, you're doing interviews, things like that. Was there a topic that seemed to stand out to you this year as being sort of more popular? How about Pretty that? well, every meeting that I go to, at some point we're going to talk about soil health. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, and often that's connected with cover crops. Mm-hmm. Um, but soil health is a big topic. But, you know, we have the Climate Smart funding that was recently approved. Yep. And... You know, one of the one of the mitigation activities is cover cropping, mm-hmm. and so you know that comes up quite a bit. Um, the great thing about it, though, here in Arkansas, is we have a good group of farmers who have already been dabbling in cover crops for oh, yeah. you know a couple of decades now, mm-hmm. and so they they kind of know what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. So, um, and you know, and and also with your NRCS office, you know, you have representatives there that have been working with cover crop as mm-hmm. well. Plenty of research specialists. So. It, it typically comes up at um, meetings about what cover crop to plant, um, when to terminate. There's a lot of management that goes into it. It's yeah. not just a set it and forget it kind of crop. Right. And um, also there's a time frame in there. Um, mm-hmm. Some You're not going to get instant gratification necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see some results, but to see a, a statistical difference, it might take a couple years. Yep. Uh, so you have to stick with it. And, and one thing that... Um, I've heard many say is, you know, don't go out planting all your acres and cover crops to start with. Just start with 30 or 40 acres. Yeah, yeah, bite off a little bit at a time. exactly. And so this year, um, Bill Robertson, actually, you know, who I worked for with Extension, you know, he's retired, but he moderated a meeting out at Judd Hill 
and uh, there was a full full morning of it. We sat underneath shade trees. It was an old-fashioned shade tree meeting. Nice. Just lawn chairs and everything. Yeah. And a lot of these farmers that I'd mentioned, um, many affiliated with the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance, mm-hmm. they were there to talk about what's worked on their farm, what hasn't worked, mm-hmm. what what do you what cover crop do you plant ahead of cotton or ahead of corn or um, or for different soil profiles. And so they they just had a good old-fashioned talk. And it was interesting because there were some there that had been doing it for you know, years. Mm-hmm. And there were some that they just walked out of their first year of cover cropping and they were looking for advice for next year to continue. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a big topic. Um, and the reasons, because there's so many benefits. I mean, mm-hmm. when you look at cover cropping, you know, it's going to improve your soil microbial activity. It's going to boost your organic matter. Um, it's amazing the earthworms you see in cover crop ground. If you've ever spent time with Adam, then you know, uh-huh. uh, he's talk, yeah, then you know, yes. he's going to talk to you about those earthworms. Oh, I'm telling you, well, I have been on Adam's <laughs> farm. If you remember Bill's study when he buried the underwear, uh, well, yes, I do. Yes, okay, I, do. I have been out to Adam's farm to dig up underwear <laughs> that Bill planted, <laughs> and uh, also Jesse Fly's farm, uh, out toward Judd Hill. Yeah he, yeah, he did a study there with the underwear burying as well. So, yeah, but that that he pulls up on the cover crop side, there's so much microbial activity, it just eats away at that. That hundred percent cotton, yeah, fabric. that organic mm-hmm. matter, yeah, it's pretty amazing to see. Uh, but that keeping that rooting structure in in that soil helps with your infiltration. It decreases your compaction. Um, when you get a rain, more likely your rain's going to go down into that soil mm-hmm. rather than run off. So that also reduces your nutrient runoff and your erosion issues. Erosion so. in the winter and when that wind's blowing. Exactly. I, can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. I, I know you're kind of working your way through the topics here or the 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 soil health conversation, but you know, for a long time, people have, we've had that, um, how, how would I, how would I put this? I'll say the housekeeping conversation. My, my, my field sure does look nice and pretty Uh when it's clean. Right. Is that, are we still fighting that? Is that That, still, is is that still a concern? That was a huge topic. I want to keep it nice and tidy. Um, that was a huge topic at the Judd Hill Field Day. Really? Because a lot of farmers talk about how cover cropping's ugly. Yeah, they and take pride in having that clean, yes. open. And a lot of your landowners want it to be clean. Yeah. And some of your landowners don't want ugly farming on their, yeah. on their acres. Yeah. So um, it is a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And so those guys that were there talking about cover cropping and how they'd done it for all these years, mm-hmm. they know it's going to be ugly. Yeah. And yeah. they know that <laughs> that it's going to be a mess. Yeah. Um, but they've seen enough of the benefit that it's worth the ugliness. You know, yeah. it's, worth, yeah. it's worth the eyesore to them. Yeah. So. Well, we've talked a lot about the row crop side with soil health. Has that made its way over into pasture land too? It has. And in fact, um, this summer I had the opportunity to attend the Arkansas Livestock and Grazing Conference. Oh, nice. It was um, here in Little Rock at the Ferndale 4-H Center. Mm-hmm. This year they did one central location. Now, next year they're going back to two separate meetings. Okay. So that that's on, I'm sure, their, the website that you can look that up of what the Arkansas Livestock and Gra- Grazing um, information for, for what's coming down the pike this year. Mm-hmm. But this past year had a great slate of speakers. Um, one happened to be Mr. Mitch Baltz. He is a cattle producer in Lawrence County, just off the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. Mm-hmm. He has about 40 head of cattle, 
And for the last 15 years, he has implemented the 300 days of rotational grazing on his operation. Mm. Now that goes back to Dr. John Jennings, and he developed that program through the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Mm. at his time there. And essentially what you're doing is you're feeding your cattle forage or pasture land for Mm -hmm. 300 days and it cuts your hay inputs back to just the two coldest months of the year Mm. and so mitch started this like i said 15 years ago and he's gotten it down to an art now he keeps stockpiles on his property uh, or on his operation he has bermuda bermuda grass growing he has summer annuals winter annuals he kind of knows what to plant when he's got Mm -hmm. it down on his calendar um he doesn't just turn the cattle loose, though, out in the pasture and let them go after it. Yeah. He he uses a hot wire system. A control type to, of, yeah. To find them to a certain grazing huh. area. Otherwise, they tromp it, and then they yeah. don't eat it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, essentially, he gives them a serving size. And they oh, go out, and they graze for a while. He doesn't let them graze it all the way down to the ground. Mm-hmm. Because, for one, it'll grow back faster if you leave some blade of grass there so that photosynthesis can start oh, quicker. Interesting. And it takes off that. faster. Yeah. yeah. So he, he does that so that it'll grow back faster, number one. Mm-hmm. But also, oddly enough, it also improves the health of the cattle's teeth. Really? Yes. It surprised me as well. So yeah. he said that if you let them graze it all the way down into that dirt and that gravel, mm-hmm. it'll deteriorate their teeth. Mm-hmm. And so not only does it help the crop grow back faster or the mm-hmm. pasture grow back faster, it keeps the cattle's teeth healthier. Nice. He said even a couple of years ago, he had a veterinarian come out to age his cattle. Mm-hmm. And he checked by their teeth and told them how how old those cattle were. Yeah. And Mr. Mitch said, "I knew how old those cows were, and they were older than what he said." But it's because <laughs> they don't eat all the way down to the dirt. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So one thing with that rotational grazing system is you have to have clean drinking water wherever those cows are. So yeah. as you're stripping off that pasture, they've got to have somewhere to drink. Yeah. So he has utilized some funding through the USDA NRCS prescribed grazing program. Yeah. And he has built these tire tanks out of old combine tires he has six or nine of them he cuts the top bead out so that the cows have more room to drink mm-hmm. uh, plums it from a well on the farm um, seals it off after, once he places that tire seals it off with concrete and some silicone and the well automatically pumps on as the cows drink the water down and yeah. they have a constant supply of clean water nice yeah and they're kind of they're str- they're strategically placed on the farm so he yeah. can use that one tire tank to to give those cows a drink no matter where they are based yeah, on their, yeah. their confinement. I, yeah. I've seen some of those. Uh, Michael Lee utilizes a similar uh, program on their uh, farm up in Faulkner County, uh, yeah. the, the the tires, and that's pretty interesting. He says even in the winter he doesn't have to break ice as much because that black from that tire will mm-hmm. absorb that sunlight yeah. and it reduces his Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I think we've got time. Do you have one more to share with us? Oh, or do yeah. you have well, several I have, more? I have one more. Okay. Just one more. Okay. Uh, this was one of my very favorite ones this year because it really showed off not only innovation in Arkansas, it showed off collaboration in Arkansas. Oh, nice. And some agritourism in there, too. Uh-huh. So this year um, at Pumpkin Hollow, mm-hmm. Allison Howell called me. She is the county extension agent up in Clay County. Mm-hmm. And she said, we're about to plant. The, the corn maze uh-huh. and I didn't know what that entailed but it yeah. was this year with precision ag they did it with a precision planter huh. so in years past what they would have done and this is pumpkin hollow that uh, miss ellen dalton runs you know it's the oldest corn maze in the state of arkansas oh, if you if you live in northeast arkansas or went to college in northeast east arkansas like we both did 
I mean, you know Pumpkin Hollow. Yes, and yeah. I took my girls there for the first time this year. Oh, they nice. absolutely yeah. loved it. And so in the past, what Miss Ellen would do would be get the design. You know, they have an art teacher, mm-hmm. local art teacher that draws the design, and they would basically put it on graph paper, plant the whole field, and when the corn was about a foot tall, they'd go out and mow it down to match the design. And trim it. To trim the, it. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Mow out the alleys with, you know. Yeah. It took a lot of work, you know, yeah. a good week's worth of work or so. And so this year, instead, they used a smart planter from John Deere, hmm. and they used the brain of Jason Davis, who works for yeah. Extension, yeah. and he basically formulated that picture that was drawn by the high school art teacher. Mm-hmm. He made it to where the planter understood what the picture looked like, <laughs> and so when that planter rolled through that field this year, it mm-hmm. basically painted the design onto the field, the planter shut off and turned on when it was supposed to. Wow. And they didn't have to go out and trim anything. They didn't have to mow any alleys. Yeah. It just took a ton of work off of their plate wow. in June. Yeah. yeah. So. Do they irrigate that corn? Do you know, you know if they do? I really do? don't know. We walked through it and the uh-huh. girls and I got lost for a minute. <laughs> and so I pulled up my story from Farm Press because I said, let's try to figure out where we are based on this picture. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm not sure about the irrigation. Okay. I didn't see anything when I was out there, but yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I know Jason Davis, uh, we had him as a uh, uh, workshop uh, speaker, uh, at our convention just a couple of weeks ago, uh, really talking about, I think that, that conversation was kind of about farming, farming from the air Uh and some of the work he does in aerial application and drones and things like that. But, um, but of course, Jason Davis would be able to take a a drawing Uh and plant a cornfield. Yeah. It was uh, impressive. Accordingly. Yeah. That's pretty neat. And so they're looking at doing it next year, maybe tweaking the process a little bit. But this looks like this innovation is here to stay. I can only imagine that they can can make a more complex uh, maze now. It's going to be even harder next time when you go back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) See what's in store next year. But, you know, the collaborative effort with that, they had seed that was donated. They had farmers that donated equipment, you know, for the process. It, It was amazing to see all the hands that came together to make that happen this year so and, and just the agritourism aspect of that which we talk about a lot on this show mainly because of mac and especially crop focus but anyway he's not here today um but yeah we talk a lot about that uh, agritourism aspect uh, in the state and our pr team covers a lot of that and that's really fascinating i think i'm gonna make a note that we go do something about that um next year uh, and follow that process, that journey, uh, from Farm Bureau's perspective. All right. Uh, thank you for bringing those stories, first and foremost. Yeah, you're welcome. Secondly, I'm going to tell you that we cannot let you uh, out of the studio today without uh, having a little fun. So on this show, we always ask, um, uh, we always have a question that our our guest does not know. Okay. Um and I'm going to tell you, for the you, you have done something for the first time ever okay. on this program and that has that? never been done on this program before, okay? You have uh, stepped on my toes for the fun question at the end. Oh, really? Yeah, you have. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me just tell you, here's what I had. Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that you worked alongside Dr. Bill Robertson. You talked about that yeah. uh, a uh-huh. couple times today. And that you have perhaps been around when he's unearthed one of these famous 
Uh, how should we say that? Uh, visual aids, yes. uh, underwear. <laughs> and I was going to ask if there was a story there. Yeah. So I get we can go ahead with this one, even though you kind of cheated a little bit. Yeah. So um, I have gone out with him to help dig those up. Now, yeah. you know, one year, though, it wasn't just the underwear. So oh, he yeah. did another project with Cotton Incorporated and he buried hoodies, um, hooded sweatshirts, mm-hmm. cotton mm-hmm. poly blend jeans, cotton poly mm-hmm. blend shirts, all poly, just to kind of see the, decom- ah. like the decomposition across the board of yeah. what it looked like. So so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is. Um, but yeah, that that was a very fun project. He gets a big old laugh out of it, you know, and at one of the very first conferences I went to, which I don't think they host this conference anymore and the name of it's escaped me, mm-hmm. but he took the soul of your undies poster and yeah. one top yeah. poster. Oh, that year. Nice. Yeah. So, so for those listening really quickly, for those listening, if you have no clue what we're talking about, about this, this professor and, you know, this scientist who worked for for the university and bearing underwear and all that good stuff. Can you give us like the quick overview of what the point of, of sure, this is? Sure, sure. So the whole point of this study is to show the difference in the microbial activity on cover crop planted ground versus conventional planted. Mm-hmm. So what he's done in the past is you'll he'll take this and it's underwear. I mean, you could use a t-shirt, but yeah. you know, for visual, it's, <laughs> it's cotton more, underwear, more, right? <laughs> more appealing or more uh, startling. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. Conversationist or yeah. Con- conversation uh, piece, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, he plants it on either side and leaves it. I don't know, six weeks or so, and mm-hmm. comes back and digs it up. Mm-hmm. Well, when you dig up the underwear that's on the cover crop side, you can see the band, but it's mostly shreds where those earthworms and the organisms in the soil have just eaten away at that cotton fiber mm-hmm. you can dig up the underwear on the conventional tilled side and it's pretty well still together yeah. it might have some roots growing through it it might have a little nick or tear here and mm-hmm. but you can still mm-hmm. tell tell their underwear yeah you know what you're looking at right as but on the other side on the cover crop side unless you saw that band you probably wouldn't know what that was that's interesting very interesting huh so it just shows the difference um in cover crop and conservation practices and how that makes a big difference in the microbial activity that's beneath our feet that we don't even see. Yeah, that soil health yeah. piece that, yeah. uh, that you talked about. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks for bringing some of your, your favorite stories, some of the top stories that you've found in Arkansas this year. Yeah. Um, we appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much for being on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it right here. We reserve the right to have you back on again soon. Certainly, anytime. All right, awesome. Well, that wraps up this special edition of the Arkansas iCast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this uh, deep dive episode. We'll continue bringing on guests to take a closer look at topics important to our members. Remember, you can watch new weekly episodes of the Arkansas AdCast every Thursday. Find video episodes on Facebook and YouTube. Listen to the audio version where you listen to podcasts. And make sure to subscribe and leave us a review when you have a few extra minutes. The Arkansas AdCast is brought to you by the Arkansas Farm Bureau. As always, and I'm Jason Brown. We'll see you next time.